This is Islanders Forecheck, a bonus series of the Hockey Press Pass podcast, brought to you by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village, Long Island. And I am so happy to be joined by an old friend, former defenseman Bruno Gervais, who played more than 400 games in the NHL. That's notable, by the way, to people who know these kind of things, most of them with the Islanders. And now he's an analyst uh, at RDS and a whole bunch of places. Bruno, how you been, buddy? It's really great to see you. Good to see you, Chris. Uh, been good. I've been good. Obviously, like everyone in the world, going through this pandemic as well as we can, but uh, things are good. The family's well. How about you? How are you doing? Everybody's good. Uh, twins in college now, and uh, so that oh, keeps college. us busy and keeps the house a little bit quieter. Uh, but <laughs> so since you've moved back, you know, what's life been like? And you've gotten into the commentary, which is your natural for it. But how did that all come to be? Oh, well, I I wanted to end my career in Europe. Uh, I was there in 2012 during that lockout, and uh, I loved it. So as a family, uh, you know, experience that towards the end of my career was something that I wanted to do. Obviously, you want to stay in the NHL as long as possible. But when I saw that uh, that was closing uh, on me, I really wanted to go over there. So I ended up finishing uh, two years in Berlin uh, with the family. That was a great experience. But from there, I knew, like, I was prepping for uh, the retirement. Uh, and I ended up doing some stuff with RDS, and I've been doing that stuff with them in the summer for years now. Uh, when I was 23, that's a little something that came out. Like when I was 23, uh, there's a summer to actually stop working out, and I thought I was going to retire. I was having knee problems. Uh, I I didn't train from June to July, like June 15 to end of July, because my knees wouldn't. Uh, I couldn't do it. Uh, I was lucky enough to have people that surrounded me that got me over that over that hump. And, you know, I was in training camp, not 100%, but at least I was in training camp, decent enough to skate around a little bit. Uh, and I ended up doing another 10 years playing hockey. So I was surprised. So in my, the back of my head, I always, I knew that I had to prepare a little something. And every summer I'd come back and do uh, some stuff with them, different shows, uh, analyzing games and stuff like that. And it kept me in hockey and I was good. So when I played in Europe, they kind of reached out and said, hey, like, Obviously, you play as long as you want, but when you retire, we want to know we want a heads up because we would like to uh, you to join the team. And it, it weighed a little bit in the balance, obviously, because when you get to the end, kids are getting older, a lot of movement, a lot of moving around. Uh, and we finally, when we finally settled down here, my son was six at the time, and that was the 14th time that he was moving. So it's the, I wanted to offer stability. So when that contract came around, uh, they wanted me to get involved. Uh, I, I said, yeah, let's see what it is and, you know, just to be home. So that was good. So from there, we started modeling a little contract, stuff like that. that I can do with them. Uh, I did different gigs, different things with them. I did two years to see if I really liked it or what it was going to be like. That was like, a, for me, it was a transition plan. But from that, I kind of grew. I, like, I loved it. The, the people there were amazing. Uh, they welcomed me. It was a lot of fun. Stability for the family. Uh, and the summer that was, you know, really relaxed summers are off. So I'm there with the kids. So it was a perfect balance. So I ended up, uh, pushing that a little further and I'm, I'm with them right now. And, uh, it's been a blast. Oh, that's great to hear. And it uh, makes sense. You were so good with the media and the fans when you were on Long Island. So now let's put on your analyst hat, my friend, <laughs> the Islanders on Wednesday night, lost a game to Seattle. I get it. I'm sure most of the NHL his looks at Long Island and says, look, the pandemic, uh, roster decisions, poor play. It's not their season. It's over. Give up. Give it up, Bada. Give it up, Islanders country. <laughs> but there was a hope going into this 11-game stretch before the All-Star break that if they made up those games that they have so few uh, behind, that they could get back into it. They ended it up 6-5, 6-5. And they, worst of all, they lost to Seattle. Pretty much a no-show. Maybe like one of the very few times you could say it in the Barry Trotz, Lou Lamorello era of the Islanders. But I ask you, as we resume the season next week, what are your thoughts on the Islanders? They start on the road. Maybe they get it back together that way. But, you know, is there any hope or should they really be looking at retooling for next season, Bruno? It's retooling. Like for me, if there's one team that could get it together and go on a run, it's the Islanders. The way they're built, the way they play, 
it's it's that kind of team that they just they if they get on that recipe they had last year, they just every time every night they got a chance to play. Um, but for them, a little bit like Montreal was a little bit of a perfect storm in stuff that happened to them, you know, from like one goal away to make it to the Stanley Cup final and maybe winning a Stanley Cup. They were so close. That series against Tampa Bay was amazing. And like emotionally and physically, it's tough to recover from that in the normal season. So add to that a short off season uh, for a little bit of an older team. I think it's the oldest team in the NHL. So it's going to wait. Same thing in Montreal, a lot of older players, a lot of players that skating maybe is not their number one strength. And that's what we've been seeing with a short off season like that. For someone that you need 100% effort to be moving out there, it gets tough to have that short season, a uh, short off season. I was talking with Guy Boucher about that. And he said, guys that skating is not their number one strength are going to struggle in a, in a season like that. And Montreal is not a fast team. They couldn't get up. They couldn't get going at all. Uh, I think with the Islanders, there's a lot of similarities with that, where it's not the fastest team, but they add a structure. Add to that a short off season. Add to it uh, that crazy road trip they they started on. Uh, it's tough. So th- there's so much that you know that happened at the same time that, and you know, in the NHL, when after 20 games, if you're in that at the end, it's really tough to come back, and guys know that. So. It's a little bit of all of those answers at, at once, but it's one of those teams that relies on structure, relies on effort and intensity. And I don't know, like you get the break, the all-star break or a little bit, you get back going and you get on the roll, confidence grows. They could do some damage. But if you compare it to Tampa Bay and you compare it to Vegas, the other teams that were in that top four, that final four, they don't have that super, you know, star power or like speed or just that natural speed and talent that other teams have. They are a team that you hate to face, you hate to play against because they're all on the same page. You got that line, you know, the, the Clutterbark, the Martin, the Zikas that they're still around. Uh, those veterans that they play hard, it's tough to play against. Uh, but they don't have, they can't rely on the same star power that you see in Vegas. And you see the Pacioretty comes in, they score tons of goals, they go out, then another guy comes in. So it, it's a little different for them. So for me, it's you add all those up, but they're, you take the same team and, and the different circumstances, it's a different result. Like you start the next season with this or you get like a normal off season and you get going again with that type of team. I, in my eyes, it's a playoff team and he could do some damage. Good. Um, you know, Nick Letty was moved for salary cap reasons. And, you know, you probably saw this all the time, right? Yeah. Fans, observers would say, ah, oh, Thanks for the memories, and but deep down they're thinking, well, maybe we won't miss them. And I, I probably felt the same about Letty. Like, all right, they can recover from that. Part of it would be the ascension of Noah Dobson, for example, though very young. I guess part of me thinks that you know there's a right-handed shooting defenders club, and that you guys all talk amongst each other. Do you see a Dobson and see the steps that he has made? And as a young player who went from the QMJHL to the AHL to the Islanders, what are your thoughts on a player like Dobson and the steps despite COVID, despite the struggles, everything that's happened, uh, his development over the last couple of months, your thoughts? Uh, Well, for me, and you probably know this, uh, you know, the number eight was going to be retired just before you come in. You know, there was a lot of movement and a lot of people pushing for number eight to be retired. But since he he came in, he gave me a call. He said, hey, I'd like to wear it. It's all right. I'll hold on. I'll wait for a little bit. Uh, But he's he's an amazing hockey player. But like you said, he's really young. He's got all the tools. Uh, he's a big body, smooth skater, so smart. Like, he does a lot of things well. And you see, like, as of late, like, he's been playing 20 minutes plus on steady. Like, it's 23, 20, 21, 20. At a really, really young age in the NHL. Uh, and good on him. But it, it, it's going to take, like, steps are going to come one at a time. Uh, but he's a big-time player. He loves the big moments. He's a clutch player, like. And I think to go through a little bit of a struggle as a team, it's just a great thing for him. Can he like fill out right away what Letty was doing? 
in a different way. Uh, there's a lot of positive. There's a lot of in, in this mental grind, the ups and downs and everything to get your recipe together and be successful for a long time. It takes a little bit of time. And just, you know, remember Chris Letang when he started, uh, right-handed defenseman, uh, you know, and he's been surrounded really well his entire career. But he's one of those guys that he struggled off the bat and he was trying to do too much, uh, You ups and downs, great game, really bad game. And now he's got that steady, fine wine, uh, you know, uh, you know, taste to his game. So I think Dobson is one of those where he's going to take, he already took big steps. Uh, he can take even more. And he's the type of guy that you build around uh, at any point. So he's one of those where you can kind of let him be in a veteran, more like more veteran team and teams that wants to go far because he's going to help you. Uh, but as you're going to move along in a year one, two, three, four years from now, he's going to be part of that core and part of something that you want to build around. Uh, I think his game, you know, obviously, he, I know he was, he was sad, I think, once or twice that he didn't play during the year. But uh, it's, it's part of the process. And we uh, live the same thing here in Montreal with Alexander Romanov. And he's been, you know, healthy scratch a couple of games. And uh, every time he comes back stronger and it's part of the building and He's been put in a really tough situation, and I don't think he's at Noah Dobson's level yet. Hopefully, he gets there. But uh, I think like Dobson's been, it's been good. And it's one of those guys I love watching play, uh, and he's going to be really good for a really long time. Do they retool? You know, let's say that early on in this trip next week, Calgary, Edmonton. You know, they're at best playing five hundred, and, and then the gap. People will say weeks ago it was impossible to close, even with the games in hand. Those games in hand are going to get are getting fewer and fewer. But whether it's Cal Clutterbuck, who I would think, and I, I this is all in perspective. I'm not thinking anybody's going to give them a, a first round pick for Cal, <laughs> Cal Clutterbuck. Do I think Cal could be a really useful piece to a contending team? Yes. Varlamov in goal. That's another story. That's a higher value thing. Um, not Shara. Parise, maybe, you know, maybe a surprise somewhere in there, like an Anthony Beauvillier, um, somebody else, a, a better player who might surprise us if Lamorello trades him because Trotz and him decide, you know, we don't want to move forward with him. Let's see what we can get. But are these deals worth looking at in order to get better for next season? Well, that's the thing. Do you get better by training these guys? I It's, it's obviously you, you create some space, um, but what does it cost to replace them? And here in Montreal, let's say like I compare a little bit, like Montreal is in the same position, but for us, we have a lot of long-term contracts here. Like Montreal has a lot of long-term contracts here. Uh, but you have a guy like Chera, right? That's, you know, becomes a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, it's been, you know, steady, even though it's a tough season, was really good last year. You can, you know what he brings to the table. He brings them to playoffs. A little bit like Clutterbuck. But, even if you get like a really high pick for him, uh, if you, you, let's say you get a, even a first rounder, a team goes like, we need him. There's a, you know, the, the two teams are after him and he gets high. Like you get a first rounder. It's going to be a late first rounder. But then how much does it cost you to replace him? And the question is within the organization, you have someone that can step in and do that work or close to that work really fast. Cause you, you have a, a core that's, you know, around the thirties in, in uh, New York. Do you want to give them a new tools? Are you just trying to move some money to get some place it somewhere else? Uh, it, it's tough in that plan. So obviously with the Islanders, like with the Clutterbuck and Parise and Chara and Green on the, that their contracts are up. Yeah. People are going to be knocking. Can I get this, you know, for cheaper? Are you trying to unload some salary? But for the Islanders, if next year you're planning, Hey, like this was just a false start. And with next year, if we have that core, we just want to have, add a couple piece and this is what we get. You just don't want to give these guys away uh, if they are going to have a role next year, depending on, you know, what the salary is going to be. Uh, if you're obviously, if you're talking to Clutterbuck and he's, he's looking for a pay raise and it's not going to fit, then you, you obviously you want to make some room, but it's, it's always, uh, what is it going to cost us to replace these guys? And for me, even though it's a tough season, the Islanders are one or two players away from being one of those, those guys that can a team that competes, Get them the playoff, and they get in the playoff. I don't want to be playing the Islanders. Like that's going to be tough. They can, they like last year they won one goal away. 
So it's a tweak here and there. How do you do it? If there's a guy that knows how to do it, it's Lou. But it, it, what do you, obviously, like you mentioned, like maybe it's actually moving somewhere else, someone else in your roster to create that space that's going to help you add a guy or two, uh, depending on what you got in your organization. But for me, I don't, I wouldn't be in that full out selling mode, getting draft picks for the experience, uh, the green, uh, the clutterbox, uh, the chara, what they bring to the table, unless you got someone that's going to come in, fill that role and give you a little space or, you know, a little room, a little something extra. So it will depend on what's being asked uh, what, or what's the offer, but they're not, for me, I, for me, like it's obviously like there's 31 teams that are going to retool. And even the team that wins the Stanley Cup, they're all going to retool and move pieces around. Canadians are going to do it as same as any team that's not going to win the Stanley Cup. But for me, it's not an all out. It's, it was a false start. Like I think Tito, I think uh, Anthony had a, a tough start in the season. He's better than that. Like, so you know that, you know, next year start again, he might start on fire. So it's a different a picture. Uh, but you're a player or two away from being back where you uh, you belong in, in a really, really tough uh, division. So that might weigh to in, in the balance as well. I appreciate uh, what you're saying very much. I think in some cases, like a, a Robin Salo on defense, he's a mm-hmm. top prospect, and we get it. These are prospects. But he has shown some ability to step in a different kind of player, although he could replace a green. But I very much appreciate that you brought a different perspective because I think a lot of people I would ask, including analysts would say, yes, it is time. You're what you're saying is, okay, look at it, see what you can get, but be careful, right? It yeah. could be like a Letty thing. Although once again, Letty was a cap thing and got a couple of uh, second round picks for him, but you're just, you're cautioning Islanders country and everybody else to just like, it's not a matter of just dumping people for mid round picks. I think Varlamov is the one difference there. Like, I, I do believe with Sorokin, they have a goalie. So I appreciate that. Just going to do a quick uh, sponsor read here. Yeah. Did you spend much time in Huntington in your – I imagine you spent a time A little in bit, Huntington. yeah. I'd love to go down there. So I, I don't know if I'm going to know the place, but I can't wait to hear. I think this came after you. It's the Main Street Board, Board Game Cafe. Main Street Board Game Cafe, Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. Games for sale and games for play, food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. So actually what it is, Bruno, is it's it's a game place, right? It's not a computer thing. It's like a place to play board games and those kind of games like we used to do. I think even maybe you did when you were oh, much I'm, younger. I'm He's... a big fan. Well, so oh. let's say you invite me over there. What would be your game? What would we well, play? Well, let me uh, – it's a good question. Oh, sorry, and, uh, finish we will, your... no. <laughs> No, you're doing great. And I guarantee you the proprietor is very psyched about this conversation. What they're saying is bring the magic of phones down, eyes up, tabletop oh. board games to your family. Their staff will help you find the right board game for you. From card and party games to games for families to strategy games, they have it all. Get off your screens. Get off your screens, darn it. I'm adding that. And unplug your game. Here it is. I'm doing a podcast. I'm telling everybody to get off their screens and phones, right? And unplug your game for a night your family will remember. Looking for groups to join? Their Magic, The Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, or Warhammer communities are welcoming for all. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Bruno, you take this down. Main Street, Main ST, Board Game Cafe dot com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game. Like, uh, thank you, Bruno. Wrote it. Down. Wrote it down. Like, you know, wrote we it did Parche- We did Parcheesi, and uh, you know all the. I'm trying to think of all the. Uh, obviously, Trivial Pursuit. I loved as long as it was sports and movies. I was good. Ask me something serious, and I. I blew, but that's that's the that's the gist of the place. That's I mean that's music to my ear. The fact put your phone down, have a conversation, play a little bit. I'm a big like I love playing cards. I love playing games. Uh, for me, like I like we got a game here that's called Tuck. I I'm not sure in translation. I don't know if it's in the, the English term, but it's like with marbles and you you get out and you got to go around the whole thing and. 
get back in the in the sky that we call it. So it's a popular game here, and it's one of those where um, my we have one here that we can play with six players. My parents have the they live next door. They have the one with four players, and my brother bought the one with eight players. So that's one of those where depending on how many we are, we play that game, uh, cards, anything. Introduce me to new games. It's fun because you get have a conversation and get to know a little bit about and you compete and you get to know a little bit more about the person that you're playing with uh there's some friends of mine that we played with i had no clue they were cheaters and now i know they're cheaters so it's a it's part of that but that's an awesome place so that's one of those that's kind of a place that uh, i would love to discover when i finally go back to long island when we can uh i didn't drink coffee while i was in long island uh, i had kids so now i drink coffee and uh, so going back, I go there, probably a, a beer or two with you. If you uh, will go, we'll play some games and uh, grab a little beer, a little beer. That, play that, games. That, would, that would be absolutely awesome. Speaking of which, a, a fan on Twitter sent in a question and it kind of rang a bell with me. Um, and by the way, if we have this like completely wrong or you don't want to talk about it, but we, did you either invest or did you have like a part of a pizza place around here at some point or were you involved with no, it? No, I wasn't involved. No, I would. No, I, uh, oh, damn the name. There's obviously we like, I was uh, the party planner for some of the years I was there. So I had good relationships with different restaurants. So we would go there after games or uh, help us out for parties and stuff like that. But no, never got involved in that business side uh, at all. Joel Bouchard did uh, Little Caesars Pizza. He invested in that, and he was involved with that for for a while. Uh, that was a good learning experience for him. But no, not me. Other than uh, eating it, no, never got involved. Gotcha. Maybe they just saw you like fish in the years before you had fence in so much <laughs> that they figured at this point you were an investor. Or maybe it was an inside joke that just went totally over my head. That's, <laughs> that's very possible. When How do you look back on your time on Long Island with the Islanders. So you would have liked to have won more, had a good run, but generally speaking, how do you look back on it? Um, positive. Like, I mean, there's no room for regrets. Um, you know, obviously, like the one year we had with Ted Nolan and, you know, making the playoffs and how the city was just, uh, it was amazing. Uh, to live that few more times, that would have been awesome. Just to have that team. For me, what was hard, there was a lot of, it was a revolving door. Like there was a, so much movement and obviously they were trying new people, new GM, new coaches, new this, new that. So it was hard with the stability, maybe not the best environment when you come in and you want to learn and be a pro and then everything and move to the next level. And that's probably not what I would wish uh, to, uh, to a young player coming in in the league, but so much positive. And it, for me, yeah, obviously making it to the NHL, the, you know, the people that you meet, even like uh, I was talking this week, I was uh, talking with Kimber and, and Anrina and they, they were brought up at the same time as I did. And they're still around the organization. That's amazing. Uh, but it was fun. I love Long Island, uh, you know, for my parents and family to come down, like for us, Christmases, uh, every break they had, they came down to New York. Uh, my sister came to visit for about a month at once, uh, at one point, uh, the relationship, the friends we made there. So there's a, a lot of positive. For me, it's the one thing, though, like you look back and you see the standings of those years and what we had and what we went through and the, the retooling and rebuilding or call it what you want. But like every year, there'd be so many different new guys coming in and they were trying. Um, now that you see teams, especially with the cap, you see teams trying to build a plan and build a structure and you know where they're going. For me, when I look back, I think back, and there's not one time I felt there was a plan. It was just like you, it was coming out of nowhere. I was like, oh, this is, well, yeah, a trade or assign this guy or trade this guy or add this guy. Or where were we going? I don't know. And then guard came on board. I think he, he had a lot of cleaning to do. Uh, he, he wanted to start from scratch or, you know, fresh start. So uh, there was a lot of movement. Uh, it's not the best, not the best, uh, I, you know, ideal situation, but just it, it was my first experience and you, you crack in and then this league and, and get to know the city and everything. So that was a lot of positive. It is amazing. When I did a, a, a sweep through your hockey DP or reference page is you, you're, you, you train, you crossed over to, <laughs> it would be too much to call them eras, E R A S, but 
you're on this one team in 06, 07. You played in Bridgeport part of the season. Doobie played a lot of that season in Bridgeport, and it ends with this four-game run in the playoffs, and I want to get your thoughts on that. And then two years later, Sillinger and all and Witt and, and all those guys are gone, and all of a sudden it's Tavares and, and Oposo and Franz. Like, you, you, you lapped, you crossed over into two different uh, spots there. That I mean, I think you were always such a positive person. You probably embraced everything as, as an opportunity. Um, but that right? Do you think about it that way? You were you were on. It was like you were in two different franchises. You just wore the same jersey and played in the same old barn for a couple of years. Oh yeah, it's and it's it's funny because the timing was like my first. It was a lockout year of four or five. Then the following year, I did like mostly HL. But I played twenty seven games, I think NHL. And the the year after, that's when I I started here. I was there the whole year. Then I had the eye ankle sprain twice and i went back to uh conditioning just before the playoffs and we had the playoff run uh to start like a career like obviously the lockout year um then the second year the up and down the first phase i went up and you know things are going well and then the first nhl year and then the playoffs Kendall and everything like everything was going on a ramp and going up uh, and i was one of the young guys like i was a young guy on a real life veteran team and for me like I remember to this day, the meeting I had at the end of the year with Ted Nolan, we had a really long, really positive meeting. Like everything was heading like where I wanted to head. And then within a few months, Ted is gone, changes there, players changing, uh, you know, starting from scratch. And then that's when my knee problems started. So I went from like thinking I can, you know, take steps forward to taking three steps back uh fighting to stay in like there were so many things at the same time within the span of like a 12 months uh that makes you realize that nothing is granted nothing there's anything can be taken away from you at any moment so that changed my perspective and helped me become i was always a go happy go lucky guy like hey things are you know fun enjoy to like really oh embrace and appreciate everything you get because it's it could be the end tomorrow. So um, that helped me go through all this and in a positive way. But it was it was hard to see the being so close to like you're building something and you're heading one, one way to taking like a hard right. And then it was like, what's going on? And then you're trying to fight through this. So I went from being the young guy on an older team. Um, I was having conversation with Ted Nolan and, and Ted was telling me like, you're part of the core, the future, build around. Like I had an r- amazing relationship with him. Uh, he signed me a lot of leadership skills, uh, part of the leadership group and stuff like that. To like hard right, we're going the other way. Then I started having health problems with the knee, so I couldn't skate nearly as you know much as I would like to. So then the new coach comes in and like, well, well, that's you know what's going on and blah blah blah. And I was starting going downhill, so everything took a hard turn at that moment but you know when you when you look back it's like it, it's part of it it's part of the experience and you, you I was trying to fight trying to stay in uh, I remember taking my visor off uh, fighting Colin White not the best idea ever but you know it's, it's one of those where I was trying to do everything I can to be help the team and to reinvent myself which is not the best thing to do but uh, it felt what I had to do at the moment uh, and just trying to embrace trying to live that experience and I make the best of what I was dealt, uh, the cards I were dealt. So that's uh, that's what I remember from that. Were you with your future wife at the time you fought Colin White? And what did she think of that? Uh, not a good idea. Not a good <laughs> idea. I was with her when, you know, yeah, with things were going south a little bit. Uh, that injury was one. Uh, I remember I got a puck in the That scar right here is a puck in the face uh, not too long after. Uh, so my head... I uh, went through some concussion stuff. Uh, I remember emotions were all mixed up uh, through all this. Uh, now that we know a little bit more about that, but we were in an era where you put a, you know, take two Tylenols, ice back the back of your neck and get back out there. And I don't want to leave my spot, right? I wanted, I was fighting to keep my job or stay there. And I knew I wasn't a hundred percent. So those are, those are tough moments. It made her learn about the grind that it was. Uh, you know, a lot of people see it from the outside and they oh, look at these guys. They're spoiled. It's easy. NHL, it's the dream. 
there's a really small percentage of guys that just natural in them, easy. They show up every day. They're just really good at it. And you got a lot of guys, most of them, that just grind. And yes, there's a lot of, you know, some of them that make it, that's a small percentage that make it, have long careers and, you know, everything goes well. And the, uh, the bigger, the way bigger percentage, they're grind. And for me, like you mentioned, over 400 games, I still, I, I wish I played a thousand. You know, when you're in that, you wish you get to a thousand. But when you look around and everyone that went through that kind of grind and, you know, I, I wasn't one of those guys that just showed up to the rink and magic would happen. So I had to work crazy to just get that so for me to push it to 400 games and push it and play more and play till i was 33 uh for, in my eyes it's a miracle it's something i'm really proud of uh but it's she she got to know about that grind and about the the other side of the metal uh where it's not that pretty well you all have a, a lot to be proud of are you major mark uh beyond the rink on long island and it it remains today and it's going to remain a long time. You're, I also have to believe that the grind, the climb, staying in it has informed your analysis, uh, your, as a work, you know, your, your work as an analyst for RDS and ever, everywhere else. Did you were close to a lot of players, you know, despite the changes, you're also, as you mentioned, kind of the party or cruise planner. But who are the players that you are closest to or really formed a bond with that maybe even remains to, to today? And, you know, what do you recall about those times, you know, going through the, the ranks with those players? There's a lot of them. That's one thing that I always, I cherish all my teammates. I, I think I built a bond and I was always, you know, it's something that I really love. That's part of all of this is the, the people you meet, the friends you make. I have one regret though that I was I'm really bad at keeping in touch. I'm horrible at it. So once when I'm there, when I'm involved, uh, 100%. Leaving Long Island was a heartbreak. Uh, that's the first time I think my wife saw me cry is when I knew I wasn't coming back. Like for me, I, I wanted to be an Islander my whole life. There was no question about it. And but I knew I wasn't to the level where I needed to be. Uh, a lot had to be done for me. And I was, you know, it, it, you needed a change in Long Island. The, the, obviously, they were kind of, you know, doing the clean slate. I wasn't even near the player I could I, I could have been in my head. So I wasn't mad that, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was traded or not signed back at all. I knew, like, it, that was if I was in the uh, guard Snow's position as a GM, I would have done the same thing. Uh, but it was a heartbreak. I invested so much in this for me, the team, like uh, taking care of, you know, the, the players, the, the, the parties, it was a family, the staff, everyone. And for me, it was just, I was just wanted to build something there. I wanted to bring it back to where it was like a couple of years before where we, you know, we made the playoffs and hopefully you're building in the right direction. So that was, that was hard. And it was a heartbreak. So for me, keeping in touch, was not a thing I would do. A couple of texts and that's it. It was never, I would never initiate that. I was where I was in the moment and that's it. But in those years, I built like relationships with people and I always I have amazing memories of all my teammates, but there's always a few that you get closer to. Uh, obviously, I lived with uh, Nate Thompson, Calog Poso, Josh Bailey, and Tim Jackman one year. We were all in a big, the frat house, we called it. So that was a lot of fun. So these guys, um, those are the guys got years later, I kind of reached out to, I, Tim, I talked to, uh, Jackman. I still talk to Bells. Actually, we had dinner when they came to Montreal, uh, this season. I talked to Nate. Uh, I talked with him a little bit when he played with Montreal, obviously here. Uh, same thing with Oki a little bit. We talked with him, uh, here and there. Uh, I got really close with, uh, Sillinger, Doug Wade and Bill Guerin. Those were like leaders that I looked up to. They were amazing. Had a blast with them. Took me under their wing. Uh, Chum Bates, one of them. But you know, Batesy, I never talked to uh, since. Uh, I I, talked I, to I've bit. heard that Bates can be yeah. he, he can be a little tough to get a hold of sometimes. I came up with, I don't think I'm selling him out. Adrian Acoin uh, mentioned that too. That uh, sometimes you know he's he's around. You just gotta you gotta find him. That's all. <laughs> yeah, he probably lost his phone again. But it's uh, yeah, Bates is a little uh, a little harder for that. But 
these guys like Blake Como's one too that I kept in touch for a while. Obviously, kind of, we kind of broke in together. Franz Nielsen as well. Love Franzi. Uh, watching him, I sent him a message. Now he's going to the Olympics. Uh, I think he's going to be he's going to be carrying the flag uh, for, for his sport. So um, guys like that, guys, those are guys that come to my mind. Aaron Johnson, I don't know if you remember. I lived with him. Yeah. I was there for a short time, but you know, awesome person. But there was so many guys. Everyone had you know, their personality. And, you know, uh, I was talking with Brent Sopel not too long ago, like obviously with everything he's doing now. Um, but a lot of great guys. Uh, some of them I got really close to. Uh, Trevor Gillies is one of them as well uh, that I saw again. Uh, but for me, it was when I left there, it was kind of, it, it was a breakup, right? So kind of you want to cut the, the string and just kind of move on. And it was hard. It took me a while and it, it really shook me. Uh, to leave Long Island, but just great memories. And I'm sure that if I you see these guys or when we do the alumni stuff and we go back, it's always a blast to see them. Like Zinim Kanopka was there, uh, Gillies was there last time. So it, it's always a it's always a big blast and it gets really intense. And that's something that's hard to explain to people on the outside where you get thrown in a situation, guy gets called up. I remember when Oki first showed up after his college year. Like, hey, come in. Like, hey, who are you? Like, Capo, so uh, how are you doing? Blah, blah. And you get to know the guy. A couple of weeks later, you're living with him for a full year. So you spend every single day. You go to battle. You go through ups and downs. And, and you get to know, like, him and his family really, really well. And then next thing you know, gone. That's it. And you move on. Then you go from, like, 100%. Like, you see that person. You know that person better than your wife mm -hmm. to, that's it. Move on. Next. No, I, I get it. And again, you're bringing a different perspective, right? I think everybody, as you mentioned, has an image of what the life is like and then what it is after. But you move on to Tampa and Philly and you have to look forward. And then, but now you come back. And listen, earlier you referenced Kimber and Ann Rinna. Uh, Kimber Aubrach is the communications director for the team, PR director for the team. Ann Rinna is, is the community relations director for the team. They've been there, you know, going back to your time there. I crossed over with Ann a little bit. Kimber was in Bridgeport uh, when I was there. The fact that you're in touch with them and know them and remember them says a lot about you because you were so involved. One, good with the media and the public. Two, great with charities. Continuing, you know, when I think of the players that, that continued the legacy of Clark Gillies, who we just yeah. lost, you know, you are one of them. I have to believe that Clarky, you met him and, and, and saw the things that he did. And even though you have an innate goodness about you, that, you know, you, you continued that trend of being involved in the Long Island community. I just wonder if you had any thoughts on Clark. I loved Clark. Um, yeah. Such, obviously, and if I can, like, make a reference here, like, in Montreal, they talk about John B. Livo a lot, about being the standard, the example, the perfect captain. Well, Clark Gillies was that, uh, to an all another level. Like, he was amazing, still involved till, like, this year. Um, and that's one thing, like, that winning brings. Like, obviously, it, it gives you an opportunity to get involved and uh, touch people and and obviously that was the goal. I, as a hockey player, number one, you want to win, but it gives you that opportunity and that chance and everything else. And, and Clark Gillies was amazing. And he invited me. I went to, I would go back in the summer to go to his golf tournament uh, mm -hmm. and such a blast. And you could see the way these teammates would treat each other and would have those dinners after. And it feels like a hundred years ago because we actually had dinners and gatherings and uh, shaking hands and stuff. But uh, it was, it was amazing how welcoming he was. Uh, I and obviously, like you walk in the room, and I remember we would have a dinner the night before, just about 20 people. And Joey Catalano was there, and sometimes Trotz was there, and the Nystrom, and a couple guys would come in, and it's like they were teammates. You would think they were still playing the way you know they talk to each other, they treat each other, but the respect they had for each other. And I would walk in as a member of the Islanders, and obviously, you walk in with guys that won many Stanley Cups and you're there and you're, you don't know where the team is heading and everything like that. He made me feel like the man in the room. Like he made everyone feel so welcome and he would ask questions and be interested. And like, 
he wants to know and just joking around and like yeah, later on my my uh, girlfriend at the time wife now would come and meet with him and she's got the best impression of him because he he talked with her like she was a long life like lifelong friend and you would think like holy like on long island everyone yeah knew him and he's been asked to go all, to do all these things so he's talking to like thousands of people and it's like it gets tiring obviously and you know sometimes you the smile is going to hurt a little face a little bit and you want to kind of rest not for him it's golf tournament he's talking to everyone on there everyone's a good friend of his he's talking the whole day and then you get at the end of it you have a drink and he'll come over and like hey how are you doing how's how's everything like don't you want to take a break and just not smile or talk for like two minutes no not him he just made everyone feel so special in everything he did and um I never saw him mad though. That's one thing I never saw him. Like I wish I could see him snap and just get pissed at someone. So uh, to play with him, that would have been a dream, uh, but just an amazing person, his wife and everyone, everyone around him were so nice. So that was, uh, that was the best. Beautifully put. I knew I asked the, the right person for that. Think about it. Listeners, folks, you know, Bruno was with the team for, you know, a, half a decade a little more and that's the impact that clark left behind that that, that, that clark brought back uh beautifully uh, said i'm very moved by that the, the services for clark uh, were private uh teammates i know were there uh, dynasty members i heard from some of them sounded beautiful family of course if there was a public celebration of his life i had I, I get it that a lot of people might not understand this but you talk about him knowing everybody or everybody knowing yeah. him if they had a public one they could easily fill the coliseum that's how many oh, people would show up. yeah you would need you would need yeah a baseball and, stadium. and everybody would have a legit experience with him i'm not a casual i met him at the so-and-so yeah. right it'll it'll be like we spent time he touched my life he he brought joy as you said i never saw him mad i actually there was a moment where I could have made him mad. He would have had every right to be. Uh, and he actually turned it, he actually came to the press box. I was like, oh, no, Gillies is going to kill me. And he actually he looked at me. I think he knew I tensed up. And he put his arm around me and just started laughing. He's like, oh, come on. You know? And like that, that, that was him. Uh, oh, just a, but- a beautiful guy. There's there's people like that though, and to to make a reference to his golf tournament where I got to see him in his world, because uh, he was obviously amazing. He would come to team events and everything like that. But we it was around the team, so we were the team. So not that he was on the outside, but he he, he was like on this we call that support circle or whatever, like being an alumni and everything. But when we got to his, we went to his golf tournaments. I did that for many years, and I made many friends on this. Every single person you talked to felt they were his best friend. He had like, and you, in, a, in a person's life, you don't have time for thousands of best friends. Like you got some closer group and then everyone else like, hey, hi, small, you know, gesture. Hey, good to see you. And that's it. Everyone felt they were special to him. And if you open that, you know, like you, you mentioned, uh, you, there would have been thousands and thousands of people there all thinking they were part of that smaller circle because that's how he treated people he made everyone feel special and sometimes when you're on the inside you're actually you know family or his wife it it, it, it gets a little it, it gets tough for them too but they were as nice and as understanding and everything as involved so for him to be the way he was he had to be surrounded with the right people so he surrounded himself with the right people that helped him so it was it was so natural and so normal for them. But you, you think about anybody else or think about your inner circle that if you've got one person that's like that, sometimes it gets tough for everyone else. But if everyone's on the same page, uh, that's what makes it really special as well. So uh, it's, it's, it's a big loss, but what a big impact he had, what a positive impact. And it, those are the kind of steps that you want to follow and you want to you know follow for any person that can have an impact, uh, an impact like that. What, what a legacy. Uh, nobody quite like him in all the, the positive ways. 
I'd like to, uh, for my final questions, I'd like to ask you about three teammates, two with the Islanders, one in junior, and they're probably not going to be who you think I might ask you about because it would be too obvious to ask you about Campoli, for example, who you're always, you were always affiliated with people, Gervais and Campoli, Campoli and Gervais. Um, the first one, so when you're with the Titan of the QMJHL, at one point, there's three guys named Bergeron on the team. <laughs> Two of oh, them are from the town of Valpo. Yes, yes. I don't know, they might have been brothers. Antoine and Remy were brothers. Okay. And then the other guy is a future or soon-to-be second-round pick of the Boston Bruins named Patrice Bergeron. So second round's great. A lot higher than I was picked, or you for that matter. I wasn't picked. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> but <laughs> put on your analyst hat. Did you know the year you played with Bergeron, Patrice Bergeron, uh, with the type, that he would become a Hall of Famer? And, uh, no. you know, a year after year for a long time, great player. No, and it shows the hockey. You develop late in hockey, and sometimes we're so impatient. We we want to know now. We want to, you know, is it good now? And to understand what it takes to develop a player, to take to draft a guy that's gonna, it's gonna be this. So much is on the player. It was great, but for five years in a row, he was on a new team. So he went from the Bantam AA to the Midget AAA to the Junior to then the NHL to then the AHL because of the lockout year. And the first year, like we got drafted to uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League together. And he didn't make that team that year. He was a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old at the time. I was 17. I was a year older. So I made the team. He didn't like he, he didn't like he didn't make it the team the first year. Right? I remember we would go to Quebec and he would come and play. He played a couple of games with us that year. And good player, really, really good player, smart. Nothing flashy. His skating, his shooting, nothing was flashy. But just he did things well. And he he he, he was like a sponge. So he was always he was getting asking questions and whatever you asked him to do, he would do it right away. Like it, it wasn't you didn't have to tell him twice. And then the second year came, he had a really good year. Actually, he was more my, my partner uh, on the blue line on the power play. Smart player as a rookie, moved the puck well. The one thing, though, he put himself in vulnerable positions all over the year. He would get hit so hard. And it's like, oh, my God, he's not going to survive. Like he, And my coach would come to me. He's like, like we got to help him out here. He's got to protect himself. But he was 5'10", probably, at the time. And then that summer... He came back and he was like 15 pounds heavier. He was six one. He, he went from a boy to a man that summer in his training. He was dedicated to hockey, and he came in that camp, and he was way too good for everybody else. He was he would score six goals. We did inner squad and stuff like that. And that within that camp camp that he came back, um, I was uh, I, I was at the World Junior Championship uh, summer camp. So I did that, uh, and then I came back, and he was just he, – he was a different player, and he was so good. And then he left for Boston. But there's – at the time, like, he, he was really good in junior, but what, what he did the year before, none of us thought he would stay. You know, he would come back. But every – it was on a daily basis that he improved, 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 improved. And he did everything the right way. And he was like that in the gym. He was like that off the ice. Everything is dedicated to his sport, and he's tough as nails. People don't understand how tough he is, um, and I think toughness is how you can take, you know, a hit or beating and stuff like that, and keep going, keep going, keep going. So I think that's one how you well why he's respected and is such a leader. But I didn't think it was going to be that fast. I knew he was a good hockey player, obviously a second rounder, but you know maybe go back to junior, finish the junior, and then do the process. But no, and he, he was dominant so fast and never looked back. And just and you look at his stats, I remember like made it to the NHL and, and then it was already like a big role. But if you look at his stats, it's only later on that like offensively kept getting better and better and better and better. So it's impressive. And my son, he plays, loves hockey, plays hockey, uh, but 
he's never going to be a defenseman, right? Not for now. Maybe a new version of defenseman, like because he's all offense. He's all offense. He wants the puck. Doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to stand in front of his goalie and defend. No, no, no. He wants to score. So, but he wants to be a center. He, you know, obviously, he's a little kid. He's eight, so he wants to take the face off and everything like that. But when the Canadians play Boston, I say, hey, watch 37. You want to learn how to play center? Just watch 37, and that's it. And I talked with Pat uh, a couple times here and there for different things, and just the, the best guy, awesome. You don't, you have to like, shake your head a little bit. It's like, oh, this guy's going straight to the Hall of Fame. And he's talking to you like he, he wants to learn and he's, oh, you're lucky. or He puts you on a pedestal. So it's, he's an amazing person, uh, amazing player. And unfortunate, I only played with him one year, that, that one year, but great guy. Incredible analysis. We could, we could just take those couple of minutes and make that a show into itself. That was uh, always wondered about him, and I've never heard anybody put it better than you just did. So thank you for that, Bruno. We have plans to do another one of these shows with a teammate of yours. We talked about the teammates who rolled through Long Island on your time there. And he's a particularly interesting one to me. And I think he has is his name comes up a lot these days because of the Trevor Zegras goal. I'm talking about Rob Shrimp, Robbie Shrimp, Shrimpy, the former first round pick of the Edmonton Oilers who wound up. And I actually had to double check this. I was surprised to see two games with the Oilers, the two seasons of about 50 games each with the Islanders, and then Europe. That's a couple games with the Thrashers, I believe. But that that wound up encompassing his career. Do you have? I'm not looking for you to criticize a teammate. Just to give your analysis, looking back ten more years later, you know, what are your thoughts on on Robbie? And you know, is it possible? You know, for example, I think from an outsider perspective, people might associate him with the trick shot stuff, yeah, but not the rest of the game. So when you think about your time with Robbie on the Islanders, what do you think of in a career that? Listen, he played. You played 406 regular season games. He played 100, and a lot of people would sign up for that. There's a lot to be proud of. Nobody's saying otherwise. But could it have been more? It's funny because he's one of those. He was right in that middle of uh, the sport was getting better and better at teaching how to commit yourself to your sport. Uh, everything else outside of the uh, off the ice, um, and it was in that middle where it was still like you had to be tough. You had to play the right way. You had, uh, and skill levels were getting better, but shrimpy was way ahead of his head of its time to this day. Like the skill set on his guy is something that I've never seen. Uh, there's Robert Nielsen that was getting close to that, but just amazing skill set. Obviously. And I'll tell you, like if, the team were looking for guys like to play harder. The physical part was big um, and the, the commitment or like other stuff. Now, when they see a skill set like that, I think the league is generally more open to surround it better. Uh, Zegras is an example. Um, you know, I don't want to say he's McDavid, but like a McDavid or a guy that comes in with something so special that they'll, They'll let slide a lot of stuff. And Shrimpy never got that leash to let slide and just show his skill set uh, in, in some ways. But amazing, amazing person, uh, fun guy. I was roommate with him on the road quite a bit. Uh, we, had some, we had some fun. Like, he's always, like, you talk about, like, a, a Johnny Goodtime, like, just, like, laughing always, wanted to talk, to shoot the shit, like, joke around. Uh, awesome guy, awesome guy. Uh, he was a fun target at, for pranks as well because you know he would laugh and love it and enjoy it. Uh, um, but this, the stuff he would do on the ice, it was in an era where two years before, a little bit before, people thought of it as useless. And then you were starting to get where he could be useful and how to use it. And there's games that when he was on and he felt because he needed like, to, to feel the, the, the people backing him up and the confidence and everything like that. When he felt that, I remember a game against Detroit. I think he had one and one. Or, but the, the entire game, he took control where it was like, 
who the heck is this? Like, that's when you see a first rounder. That's when you see, like, you can build around a guy like that. But he wasn't consistent. Then you needed the help. Then he, we would get, like, slap on his fingers because of other stuff in the D zone. And there was just a lot of probably happening. But the skill set was amazing. And uh, an amazing person, a fun hangout. We lived, like, near, uh, nearby with the apartments. And, and so much fun to play. We would play bachi outside and, and hang out. It was great. He's, we did one prank the one night though, that one of the good pranks that we did. He, uh, obviously you go on rope, uh, you know, get the practices you, some, during the year, you get tired. And we ended up going over there. We were watching, I want to say it's during the Olympics. I, I want to say it's like Canada, US or something like that, but he's at his house. He's spotted well, comfortable on his couch and he falls asleep. Big mistake. We got a couple of Sharpies, me and Blake Como, and we did, I mean, we pushed it until he woke up, but we did his nails. We did the eyelid here. We did around the eyes. We did the nose. We did the mustache. He spent days trying to rub it up everywhere. Uh, but he, uh, I'm sorry for that, Shrimpy. You can tell him I'm sorry for that. I don't know if he remembers. But he was an, he was an amazing, awesome guy that – He's one of those, but maybe he wouldn't say that because as, as a player, you don't want to have regrets and you don't want to say, hey, but for me, if he's being drafted this year, it's probably a different outcome. Mm. Ahead of his time. Uh, extremely well put. Mm. And then another player, you know, somewhat in that category, a lot of ifs I'm going to put here, right? If he stayed healthy, if he was in not such like you experienced such a, a erratic environment with players coming and going. But I always wondered what it was like to be a defender and a, a guy who could uh, lug the puck like you did and play and have, I guess what I want to ask you about is the Rick DiPietro experience. You know, uh, what, if, if everything came together, and that's just not the way life works. It's not the way life works for most NHLers. But if everything came together, contract aside, first overall aside, you know, what, what could have been there if you if it all came together, including health, most of all health? Um, it could have been amazing for me. And it could have been Charles Wong was great to think outside the box. And for him to see the long term, to where the league was heading and everything, like he, he could have been a, like a, the cornerstone or like the, the core of something that you can build because – that's what if you look around the league, teams that do well and for years they have some really cheap deals. They have great bargains on their team. Boston is one. Bergeron's getting paid like just over six, I think, for years. And uh, same with Martian. Like they have bargains. Colorado's got bargains now. There, it's going to be different later. Like so, he, I think it was four point five. Was it? I think for fifteen years, something like that. That would and he started the All Star game that year. That would have been an amazing, amazing bargain. Because you think not later on, like Carey Price been paid ten point five millions for a couple, like for five, uh, four or five years. If health wise, it would have stayed there. The impact he had on the game, it was f- uh, much more than just stopping pucks. The way he played the puck, for when the difference between when he was in the net and anybody else was in the net was me getting hit 20 more times when he wasn't in there. Cause I didn't, he, he did everything. The way he, he competed, the way he played the puck was amazing. That's when you realize, and I think teams are realizing now and awesome guy, but to be that high of a pick, like the first pick, um, the trade that led to it, the, the everything that's put on your shoulders, the big deal. Mentally it's tough, especially as a goalie. And now players are much better surrounded and much better tooled to uh, go through this. But for me, was everything was put on his shoulders. But here you go, do it on yourself. Do it alone. Do it by yourself. Figure this out. Uh, I'm sure there was a lot of help, and Guard Snow was there to help him out, you know, the older guy and everything like that. But I think there was a lot on his shoulders where I remember some of his rehabs and everything that he was putting his body through because he wanted to be the best and it's it's that mental part because the talent was there the everything else like he was so strong so fast so his body kind of let him down a little bit 
but it, I think it started with everything that was on his shoulders that he was trying to push his body through something that he shouldn't have maybe at the time. Uh, but he was really good to me. He was fun. He, he was a fun guy to be around. Uh, he's in media now. That's no, you know, that's not a surprise because I, you know, obviously he loved the mic and he loved to, uh, to talk. But he was one of those guys that, yeah, it, it was a tremendous talent uh, with amazing potential to put the franchise on his shoulders. Uh, but it's it's not easy to do. It's really hard to do. And we, we were in a time where you needed help around, you needed to surround him, and you needed, like, obviously, if it was a little bit of a better team and that wasn't so much on his shoulder, uh, it would have been different. But there was a lot on his, and it, it, it's tough to manage all of that. And every human being was going to need help to manage that type of situation. Uh, it, it didn't turn out like he wanted. It didn't turn out like the Islanders wanted. But that could have been an amazing bargain, easy to build around, and you—that could have been a totally different outcome of everything. But like you said, nothing is guaranteed. Help is a huge thing; it affects a lot. So it didn't go that way. But I'm glad to see him like uh, doing well, doing other stuff on TV, still involved. So that's that's good to see. Yeah, no, a great story again, and, and I appreciate that insight. I, you know, I, I saw it on Twitter when we posted that you were coming on the show. As always, uh, you take everything uh, positively. I always wonder about people when there's like this big pop cultural moment and a name becomes famous. And we happen to be in this moment where a song from the movie Encanto, written by Lynn uh, manuel uh, Miranda, has, is uh, number one on the charts. And it's uh, We Don't Talk About Bruno, I believe is the name of it. Uh, maybe your kids love it. It's all over the place now. And so, like, is this all you're hearing about these <laughs> this month or this it, year? It's not as popular here yet. It's always a little delayed. But my, it's one of the favorite movies for my daughter. Uh, and we were joking about it. And when I saw the tweet, because we watched it, she loves that movie. Mm. And my son had to do a little presentation on his favorite movie, and he picked Spider-Man. And so my, my daughter, my daughter that's five, she's like, oh, my movie would have been in Cato. Or, uh, and we, we watched it. I was like, yeah, perfect, we watch it. And then that song starts. And my wife is dying laughing and everything. And, we, and it's a catchy song. It's a good song. But I said, I love the name Bruno. I'm really proud of my name, and I'm glad my parents picked it. But there was a few years back, I don't know if you remember the movie Bruno, Yes. Uh, oh, oh no. <laughs> so it's it's not good publicity or good rep. This, this, for this thing is this thing with the uh, Encanto is sweet. Yeah, that yeah. not not that not so much. So a couple of hits, you know, for the Bruno. Now we don't talk to Bruno. Uh, we don't talk about Bruno. Uh, so yeah. So I'm hoping that someone you know takes Bruno and makes him like a, a superhero, a good role model in the movie somewhere, a good song that's really nice about him, but. We'll work on that, but I was I was dying laughing at when I saw this. We we don't talk about Bruno. I was laughing. Oh man! Uh, well, we love talking with Bruno. Over my <laughs> shoulder here in my makeshift office is a jersey that the Islanders gave me in my twentieth season. Uh, they it surprised me. There's, there's a reason why I'm bringing this up, and they surprised me. Had my family in the Zamboni corner, and uh, like I didn't know it was coming. And it was before the anthem, around the time of the national anthem, before a game. And I was told that the team was going to be giving me something, uh, a few things. And what player would I want to come over? They're like, you want the captain? You want Garen? You want Witt? You want Sillinger? You want... And I said, no, I want... If I had my choice, I wanted to be my favorite player, my favorite person. And that's Bruno Gervais. And uh, so you're in the picture with my family and everybody else. And that's... That's why you're there, you know. Ann and and didn't yeah. ask to do it. I requested you uh, because that's how much uh, you always meant uh, and continue to mean to me. And I did. If I would never expect you to remember that, but I did want you to know that. But that you're, yeah, you touched me right to the heart. Thank you very much. Uh, thank. I don't know what to say. Thank you very much, Chris. I'm surprised. I didn't know that at all. Well, Campoli was scratched, so no. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Truth comes out. But, no, no, uh, no. I, I kid about Campbell. And it, it's it's 
it's it goes both ways because like for me my experience and every everyone around you know the islanders and you guys were so nice and uh tough era like it wasn't the winds weren't piling and everything else and it still it was so much fun and such a pleasure to get involved and want to do more and the big the big portion of that is because it was treated it was put in place as a family that was the vision of charles warren but everyone inside took that seriously and and, and took that to heart and it was so much fun just to be around, see you guys. Obviously, we saw you guys quite a bit, and it it was a, it was a blast. You guys made it easy. You guys made it fun through all of this. And now I realize because I have such a positive, I have such positive memories of all of this. But it could have been the other way because the winds weren't coming easy, and it was ups and downs and frustration, and you know, rebuild every year and stuff like that. But it just it, it made it so nice for us. But my parents came, my sister, my brother, my wife now, my friend, and everyone, every time they would come, it's like, oh, my God. Like, we treated like queens and kings, and, like, it's so much fun. And so that, it made it special. And I always fought against people would say, oh, Long Island is not a place, you know, free agent would go and stuff like that. It's the opposite. The way, because it becomes your experience. And when you deal down on a daily basis, uh, that's what's really important. And you guys made it amazing so that's why guys stick around that's why guys got involved and stayed there uh, it's because people like you chris and it, it was a blast so i cannot wait and i'll be going back with the alumni stuff and going and we're going to go for a beer at that cafe uh, the board game cafe place in huntington but it, it, it's always a blast and this is why it's such a special place in my heart uh you know the uh, the islanders and the, the family that's around it I can't wait to see. I know you come back for alumni events, and I can't wait to see UBS 15 minutes from my house. And uh, yeah, and I know you'll have a lot of people uh, to catch up with, but uh, I look forward to, to seeing you there. Thank you so much for your time, Bruno. Thank you. Thanks to Bruno. Special thanks to Lou Pellegrino for producing and engineering this episode. Uh, did an incredible job, Lou. Thank you. We'll be back very soon with another four-check episode at the All-Star break and an episode of Hockey Press Pass with legendary Hall of Fame play-by-play announcer Jiggs McDonald. Thank you for listening to Islanders 4-Check.